Hi, I'm Lauren Burdett, and you're listening to Season 2 of Life as Spiritual Practice, a podcast where we explore what it's like to experience ordinary aspects of life as ways to connect to the divine. If you are feeling stuck in your spiritual journey, this might be the inspiration you've been looking for. You'll notice in the conversation today some pauses, some moments of silence. And while these could feel awkward, I offer them to you as an invitation to take a pause for yourself and to notice what our conversation stirs up in your own soul. My guest today is Dr. Diane Millis. For three decades, Diane has had the privilege of serving as a midwife for others as they give voice to the vast array of stories inside of them. She has taught and advised undergraduate and graduate students, consulted and coached in a wide array of sectors, facilitated retreats and led workshops, and produced the video series Lives Explored, as well as ministered as a spiritual director. Through this, Diane observes, listens, and inquires as participants learn how to tell their most life-giving stories, the stories to which they are drawn. Diane, welcome. Thank you, Lauren, for the invitation to be with you. I am so delighted to get to talk with you and to get to hear more about your personal journey with storytelling and what you've learned through that and how it shaped your work. So Diane, have you, tell me a little bit about story in your life. Have you always, have you always been drawn to stories? I've always been drawn to getting to know others Mm. and what makes them tick Mm. and had very little patience for what we often refer to as small talk. Mm. <laughs> and uh, so as I look back as a, a child, I can remember my fondest memories would be those occasions, those conversations that were most often one-to-one where I could really um, just get more in-depth in what I explored with another person Um, and so perhaps that was the the beginning or the attraction to stories is that I was just so fascinated uh, with the the stories that that I heard others tell especially if they were given an occasion to do so Mm. what what did their stories hold for you like what was it that you were um, what was it that you were finding in those stories? Well, you know, I, I think of it in two ways. I think often when we're in large groups, and I, I, I don't want to suggest I don't enjoy large groups, because <laughs> I do. However, what I often notice in large group is groups is that people tell their favorite rehearsed stories, mm. those mm. stories that they repeat over and over again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what I always enjoyed about having an occasion to talk to somebody one-on-one is they often discovered new stories mm. 
Mm. Um, or I discovered new things about them uh, because they weren't just falling back on their their rehearsed stories. So for me, it's that that um, opportunity for discovering more about the other. Mm. Both, and I hear that both for you and for them. You, you know, ideally, ideally, yes, Lauren, that would be my hope. Yeah, yeah, that to me, that to me is always the sign um, of a really good conversation is that the person suggests, like, if, if I ask them a question in response to their story, and they say, Oh, I've never thought of that. Mm-hmm. And then I, my heart just smiles within because I think, you know, now, now we're deepening our connection to one another. Oh, that's beautiful. And that, um, and how beautiful that that's something that has always, always been true for you. That, that sense of curiosity about others. I, I, I do think that's very true. <laughs> I was often, um, maybe I'd use the word, um, accused of being a very precocious child and maybe just a bit too serious. But I, I love to reflect and I love to invite other people into reflection and connection. Those, those are just still some of my favorite activities. Mm. And how... Um... Talk to me about how that sense of curiosity connects to um, connects to your relationship with the holy. That's a big question, but <laughs> that is a it's a big and it's a beautiful question. Mm-hmm. Um, well, for me, I think of the divine as mystery, you know, with a capital M, and I'm. I'm less interested in getting to know all the details about that mystery. And I'm more interested in my curiosity being stoked and entering more deeply into the reality of the mystery. So the you know, the sense of needing a certain amount of certainty about God or the holy or the sacred. Um, I don't feel a real need for that. Um, uh, thing, you know, doctrinal kinds of matters, uh, some of those things as important as they are at a certain stage in our lives. Um, I am far more interested in questions and exploring others' questions about the sacred with them rather than the pursuit of answers. So to me, our spiritual lives, in fact, the entirety of our lives is less about mastery and it's more about Mm. mystery. So that it really is that turn from certainty to curiosity. Uh, that that really enlivens yeah. me. And me too. <laughs> yes, I suspected as much, Lauren. <laughs> and and I hear in that, and I know for me, when I'm listening to people, that sense of 
just that sense of wonder. And when you are exploring mm-hmm. somebody's life, that there's these glimmers that um, shine a little more light on mystery. Hmm. Was that a shift that you had to make at some point? I'm just, I'm thinking about that love of story and that naming of mystery mm-hmm. and, and thinking about the child, Diane, who was precocious and mm-hmm. loved to reflect. And I'm, I'm wondering if, um, I, I guess that journey, would you have, do, would child Diane have named that, have said, you know, I love listening to people and in listening, I'm meeting this mysterious divine or was there, yeah. <laughs> um, well, I think the child would have said, I love listening people. And the child would also have said, I love teaching. Uh, and so uh, that's probably another story I, I, of how my teaching uh, contained more and more of a listening stance. Hmm. And I, but I, but I do recall very, very specifically being blessed with these encounters with this, this deep, deep presence very early on in my life. Mm. Uh, And it just gave me a sense of knowing that I could trust that mystery because it gave me such immense comfort and peace. Mm. Um, And, you know, so whether it was being a little girl, you know, um, I can remember as a little school girl, as a second grader going over to mass on my own before Mm -hmm. our school day started at the Catholic school I attended. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to believe in 2019 that any child would be able to do anything on his or her own at age seven. But I was blessed to, as I say, be able to, to um, attend mass that morning and pray on my own uh, amidst all these adults. And I can remember ever so vividly that morning as I knelt in prayer before mass in the beauty of that quiet, uh, how I just felt like I lost sense of time and space. And, mm-hmm. you know, later studying about stages of you know, or aspects of spiritual experience, I would name the experience I had at that age a unitive experience where Mm -hmm. I just lost sense of where I was and with whom I was gathered. And I, I felt like I just was in such unity with that sense of mystery and presence. Um, and, and after that, I often sought out other occasions where I could just be in quiet and I trusted in that quiet. And so that, that was an immense, that was an immense blessing for me. And I think one of the reasons I probably have more comfort with mystery than perhaps some others do, because I it was something I could trust. It was something I could enter into and encounter. What a gift. Indeed. Indeed. Mm. I'm just savoring that sense of, yeah. 
that sense of deep connection, that unitive experience, mm-hmm. and imagining what it meant mm-hmm. for you to receive that at seven years old. And, and that's perhaps why I have such immense comfort in inviting groups I lead and people with whom I meet to just join me in silence, because I believe we all have that deep well within us. Mm. You know, another way of of naming God that I've been introduced to, I I love to to pray with the Psalms and the translations by Nan Merrill, and she refers to the sacred as the heart, capital H, within our hearts. Yeah, and and so for me, I I just want to create occasions for and be with, be in solidarity with people as they courageously get quiet and enter into their heart and and trust in so doing that that heart within our hearts is there to meet them. Hmm. And it's from that place, Lauren, it's from that place where I believe the most life-giving stories stem from. But so many of the stories we are accustomed to telling are just, you know, at the top of our head or the tip of our tongue, and they don't come from that deep, deep place within. They're stories we've either been told again and again, and they may not be life-giving. They're rehearsed stories. And so one of the things I emphasize in this recent book, Recreating a Life, and the subtitle is Learning How to Tell Our Most Life-Giving Story, is, is we really have to cultivate this practice of, of listening and speaking and authoring from deep, deep within our hearts. Yeah. And I think another way I name the sacred is the, the, our co-author. Mm-hmm. We're always invited to be co-creating this story. I, I don't think there's a story that's been authored and is set in stone. I believe what we are being called to do is discern with our co-author, the divine co-author, what is the most life-giving story at this moment in time? And that is a major discernment, as we both know. Mm -hmm. And, mm, well, first, I'm glad you mentioned the book, which is phenomenal, and we'll have a link to it in the show notes. Um, It is such it's just such a beautiful resource for helping the reader explore ways to tell their most life-giving story. And you are so vulnerable with your own story and your own retelling of the story in the pages. And that is, um, it's just such a gift. Such a gift and such a model of, of how to engage in this practice. Because what I, what I heard you just say is that we all have stories. We're telling our stories mm-hmm. all the time. 
Yes. And, um, and that we get stuck in them, that we get stuck in this one version of the story and that the invitation is to, is, is to open that up and to open it up to, to the co-author of mystery and the co-author mm-hmm. who desires, desires us to be living our most life-giving stories. Mm-hmm. 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 And I'm really, Diane, I'm really intrigued by that because I realized um, just as we're talking that I think of a story as something that has a narrative arc and something that has a beginning uh-huh. and an end. You know, I think of a uh-huh. story as a container. Uh-huh. And it's really, it's intriguing to me to bring that idea of this kind of closed container of a story into, into the presence of mystery and to open it up to this idea of, but it's never finished. Um. <laughs> and you know you're a you're a very astute reader because that was probably one of the key messages I wanted to underscore in the book mm. is we are never finished authoring or reauthoring or co-authoring mm. um, and so the the invitation the book offers is, is not to nail something down and then be done with it. Um, but it, to really, to really offer a stance, a way of looking at one's life. Um, and knowing that the editing function is alive and well. Mm. And that, and that every story we tell, we should be open to editing and re-editing. And just like a good writer knows that the most important um, component of writing is a willingness to edit, I think the same is true for us as we live our lives, the willingness to continue to to edit the narratives we tell about them. Mm. And and so one of the principles I introduce, uh, and it's based on very, very good psychological research is that the nature of our identity Mm. is narrative, Mm. that whether we're aware of it or not, each of us has this internalized story we're telling ourselves. Mm. And so, you know, a big part of the book, at least the first section is just inviting people to come to awareness of what is that internalized narrative you're telling yourself about the life you've lived up to now, who you are in the present, and who you aspire to be in the future. Um, And for people to grow in consciousness Mm. of that story. Um, Because most people don't realize that maybe the story they're telling themselves is not the story they want to be telling themselves. But, you know, it's on repeat. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, and, and recognizing we, we do have a choice about the story we tell. And having said that, I, I think I'll launch into another key point, which is no matter how reflective we are, no, no matter how curious we are and how willing we are to encounter mystery, the sacred mystery of the divine, 
I don't believe we can learn how to tell our most life-giving story on our own. Mm. I do believe we need a community, at least one other very trusted, committed conversation partner to accompany us. And in some cases, I think we benefit from a small group because, you know, each person hears different aspects in the stories we're telling and can reflect what they're hearing Mm. back to us. Um, Mm. I use the analogy of the prism Mm. that Mm. when we share our story, our life story, that it's like we're holding up a prism to Mm. those with whom we're sharing it. And that each person who's viewing our story and listening to our story sees sees it from a different vantage point and sees the light in it re- refracted differently. Um, so I, I really value having a small group of people to accompany me mm. as I'm, especially when I'm in the midst of, um, you know, a, ch- a challenging story uh, mm. that I'm trying to make more meaning of. It really helps to have more than one person to accompany me and and see the the light that's potentially to be found in that story Mm. so you'll convene a group around you when you notice that you're in in a challenging place or yeah i've i've been i've been blessed for the last decade um i've been a part of a group Mm -hmm. we meet together at least once a month Mm. and we aspire to meet together twice a month and it's been the same group of five of us and Mm. we know one another's stories quite well and we also um we also help one another to keep discovering mm. uh, the the new the new life emerging mm. in the midst of our everyday struggles. Mm. So I love the gift of that. I love the gift of that continuity. Mm-hmm. And yet, I also love being able to reflect on stories with with people I don't know as well because they. Mm-hmm. you know they have new ways of of seeing so for me it's an awesome delight to to gather a group of retreatants or um, in the courses that I teach on on narrative leadership um, to witness people sharing their stories with one another mm-hmm. and I often if they need another group participant sit in and share my own because people um, people continue to help me see and hear new things. So you're living it. I hear you just because you wrote the book on it, you're not done. It's <laughs> <laughs> exactly, Lauren. I am not done. No, 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 no. Now it's, um, I, I, I guess, you know, the image I use is I feel as if I've been called to be an inv- evangelist mm. for inviting people to reflect and, and tell their story and to do so in community. Mm. And 
I want to say for the reader, or for the reader, for the listeners, that in your book, you lay out a process for telling stories mm-hmm. in the group. Yes. And Diane does such a beautiful job um, just laying out ground rules and a process that's very accessible. And so if you're listening and feeling like this, I want to try this, but I'm not sure how, um, yeah. it's all in the book. Yeah. Yeah, I, the book was designed as a toolkit, the toolkit for personal reflection and then um, for gathering in community with mm-hmm. one or more others who are also interested in such reflection. Can you, we've been using the phrase, you know, life-giving stories. And I'm wondering, Diane, if you can give a, if you could share from your own journey, maybe a story that... Sure. A story that was stuck on repeat and then what it, how it changed when you, like what it meant for it to become a life-giving story. Yeah. So um, thank you for that question. That really was the focus of, of the book was to work with some of the stories. um, Psychologist Dan McAdams at Northwestern would say some stories that were contamination mm. stories mm. for me. And and there was one story in particular. So so McAdams will say um, all of our stories include both contamination mm. themes and redemptive themes. So mm. maybe I'll explain what those two are and then I'll give you an example. Uh, so a contamination theme is you know, my life was really good until I lost my job. Or my life was really good until, um, in my case, my parents divorced. And after that, my life was never as good as before my parents divorced. So that was a contamination story that I was telling myself. That up until 11 my life was going well. And after age 11, when my parents divorced and we relocated to another part of the country and I had to begin my life again, um, that my life was never as good as it was before then. And so that's the story I was telling myself. And I became very aware that for decades, I always held up what I call this phantom story. So there was the story of what actually happened to me as a child of divorce and then a a teen who really struggled with some pretty serious Mm -hmm. depression. And then, you know, my, my journey to... To, to move through that and, mm-hmm. you know, um, recreate my life. However, I always had that phantom story. I kept saying, how much better would my life have been? How different would I have been if my parents had stayed together? And if I could have stayed in my Catholic school and if I could stayed living you know, in the place I lived and continue to grow and thrive. 
And I can remember this very real for so many years, feeling a great deal of envy for people who didn't experience the kind of disruption I did. Mm. Um, And because I thought I would be more successful in life had I not experienced that disruption. Uh, So so that was a, a contamination story that that I held on to for some time. And when I learned about Dan McAdams' theory that there's another choice, Mm. there's another choice, and that is a redemptive story. So disruptive things happen, challenging things happen, traumas happen, struggles happen, and yet we can find greater meaning and purpose through those struggles, through those challenges. And what I've grown to see in the last decade or more is, and and this wasn't like flipping a switch, Lauren, Mm -hmm. (laughs) as you well know, you know, we don't move from a contamination story to a redemptive overnight. It was, it was a series of years and even decades. Mm. Um, But, but here's, here's the shift I began to notice that in my 30s, I began to see that the choices I had made for the schooling, what I majored in, what I felt called to do, stemmed from that initial disruption. Mm. So I felt called to study family communication. I felt Mm. called to teach marriage and family communication. Do you see a connection there between <laughs> having parents divorce <laughs> and a life calling? And and so I began to see that while yes, my life probably would have been far easier and perhaps I would have been more successful or whatever the heck I was thinking. But the redemptive story that began to emerge was and through that tremendous heartache my calling emerged. Mm. And so now I really, Mm. I really hold to that. I hold to that with immense trust and hope and promise and see that in that brokenness, it opened me up to greater compassion Mm. that I may have never possessed had that disruption um, not occurred. Now, now I'm not trying to, um, to say to folks, you know, that we want to minimize the suffering, uh, mm-hmm. that occurs in our lives. I'm not trying to minimize anything, but I am trying to maximize the choices we have mm-hmm. about how we narrate those events. Mm-hmm. And, um, so for me, I, the, over the course of my life, I have been learning how to tell a more life-giving mm-hmm. story about that. And, you know, once I've received such a gift in, in discovering this more life-giving story mm-hmm. and in discovering the beauty that can emerge through brokenness, whether it's broken relationships, whether it's um, broken hopes and dreams, and we all have all of that, right? Mm-hmm. But I've, I've begun to see more the beauty 
that can emerge Mm -hmm. uh, and the tenderness that can emerge. In fact, on my desk right now, I'm looking at, and perhaps we could post this on the the website as well. I'm looking at this kintsugi pottery, Mm -hmm. which in the Japanese tradition, Mm -hmm. you know, when a pottery is broken, they repair Mm -hmm. it by putting this kind of gold adhesive. And so in the broken spots of the pottery, you now have the beauty of this gold. And so the pot is even more beautiful than it was before. And so this is the new stance I have on my Mm. own life and on the lives of others is rather than thinking just because we've been broken, the best is over. Um, I now look upon that brokenness as a as a um, invitation to greater truth, mm. greater beauty, greater goodness in our lives. Mm. Mm. Thank you. I love that pottery too. And- I do too. (laughs) I just created a PowerPoint slide for a presentation I'm going to do. And I have five different pots in five different shapes and broken in five different places and repaired with the gold. And, And to me, that's just the reality of our lives and our communities, whether it's our family life or whether it's our friendships or our neighborhood or our nation for that matter. I just, I love the image of that, those broken pots that have been repaired. And I'm seeing that, you know, for our stories that the gold, you know, the gold pouring over the pot is, um, is allowing love and compassion to flow into our stories of brokenness. Oh, and, and oh, the image of flowing, Lauren. Thank you for that. Yes, yes. Mm. And oh, and I'm really struck that a life-giving story that it's it's not, it's not twisting. It's not twisting this brokenness into this happy, you know, or um, yeah, happy, successful thing. That it's holding it more fully. That it's seeing just more of the reality around the story that in our contamination stories, we're, we're, it, we're just seeing one thread. We're just seeing one piece. Yes. Yes. It, it, yeah. You know, in narrative therapists will say it's a thin narrative mm-hmm. and they use the term, the invitation is to thicken the narrative, to look at more strands Oh, interesting. Yes, yes. Mm. Yeah, and and I agree, and I want to underscore, as you just noted so astutely, um, that this is not forcing, we're not trying to find the happy ending. Mm. Um, I'm not trying to talk you into a happy ending. Mm. <laughs> or point to, you know, oh, well, look at this. That's, that's not the invitation we're extending to one another. Um, The invitation is to, to trust that 
that more truth, more insight will be revealed if we're willing to stay with the story. But, you know, what often happens, we we don't want to examine some of these challenging Mm -hmm. things in our life. We want to suppress them, repress them, forget about them, hope they'll go away. Mm -hmm. Um, We we don't want to continue to to gently explore what more we might learn from them Mm -hmm. and how that might cultivate greater compassion for ourselves and greater compassion for others. Yeah, I'm hearing that invitation really clearly because I, I noticed in myself as as we were talking that um, oh, that I started with this sense of oh those broken stories oh those tired stories <laughs> yeah. oh, you know and yeah. 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 contamination story like that's such a visceral like ugh. And just feeling the sense of, oh, get away from me, broken story. Yes, yes, right, <laughs> right, um, right. And, but that that's, yeah, like, like, get away, I can tell a better story. Um, but that, that's, that that's not the invitation, that the invitation is, is to look at the story, you know, to honor, to honor even our tired stories, to honor even our stories that aren't serving us well, um, that, yeah, I, I I don't know if you would say this, but I'm hearing this invitation to treat those stories with honor and reverence and to open them up, you know, to give them room to breathe and mm-hmm. in order. In you order know, I think it. just just a, two weeks ago in the class I teach at a seminary here in St. Paul, we were reading the work of Frederick Beekner mm. And, you know, for those of us who are looking at exemplars, mm in this work with narrative, Frederick Beekner, Reverend Frederick Beekner is, is probably uh, one of my foremost exemplars. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he lost his father to suicide at the age of 10. Mm-hmm. And since then, he's now 93. Mm-hmm. Since then, he has written over 30 works of both fiction and nonfiction. And he observes that in every one of those books, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, he is still mining the meaning Mm. of his father's suicide. Mm. So it's never that he'll figure it out. He'll just continue to mine the meaning Mm. in that. Um, So I don't think, I don't think the aim is to, arrive at a once and for all interpretation you know this is back to the uh, certainty versus curiosity mm-hmm. or mastery versus mystery you know I I think it's this cultivating this stance of curiosity about the things that have happened in our lives mm-hmm. and encountering the mystery mm-hmm. and 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 so he, he for me is such an exemplar of somebody who just continues to encounter and pray with mm. that that with that sense of mystery as he quote unquote listens to his life. Yeah. Hmm. Richard Rohr, um, Father Richard Rohr, defines contemplation as 
that which helps us to perceive more of reality. Mm, yes. And, and I'm, I'm hearing that in this example of Frederick Buechner that yes. he is, that there's, that there's more of reality to see, that, that there's more aspects yeah. of the prism. Yes. 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 And so, and so storytelling and story listening certainly is a spiritual practice mm. that helps us cultivate um, our capacity to see more of reality. Mm-hmm. Yes. Beautiful. Thank you. Mm, you're welcome. Diane, this seems like a good time. Um, to invite you to lead me in a practice. We talked about offering that. Yes, yes, yes. So in the book, Lauren, you know, Mm -hmm. each chapter is set around a a question Mm -hmm. to explore, explore your narrative. And so I had asked you which question you might like to explore today. And you said you'd like to explore the question about who is the protagonist in your story. So I love this particular exercise because this really helps us to develop our capacity to observe ourselves. You know, so often we get over-identified with the way we tell our stories. And this creates like this third-person perspective Mm -hmm. that we're looking at our lives rather than in the first person, we're looking at our lives as an observer would and realizing that we are characters in our stories mm. as well as narrators of them. So I'd love to invite you to introduce me to this character in your story, this leading protagonist. And and what name, if any, do you give her other than Lauren? Yeah, her... Um... So I love yoga with Adrienne and I was doing um, her, she does different videos for you to do at home. And um, sometimes they're, they're general practices and sometimes they're more specific. And her new practice last week was yoga for writers. And I thought, well, that's perfect for, for today and talking about storytelling. And I was engaging. So I was doing that yoga practice this morning and holding this question about what would I name my protagonist? And what came to me really clearly as I was moving was that her name is Seeker. Mm. And I'll say, I didn't like that name. Oh. <laughs> um, oh. I felt this immediate, like, oh, Seeker. And I realized I, ha- I kind of have a negative connotation with that word. that, um, And it connects with me to the phrase spiritual seeker and... Um, I don't know that there's this lack of grounded, I, I don't know what that is for me, okay. why, why it's negative, but so I asked myself, well, could she be, you know, maybe she could be explorer. Maybe she could be. Searcher. <laughs> um, and what I heard back really clearly was no, no, she, she's named seeker. Huh. So I, I'd love to pose a couple of questions to Seeker. May I do that? Yes. All right. So why do you believe 
that name is emerging. Hmm. What, what, what is that name inviting you to notice about yourself and your story? Mm. And even if you want to speak in the third person, seeker, mm. Mm. fill in the blank. Yeah, I would say seeker is restless. Um, seeker is curious. Seeker has been present since um certainly as long as I can remember. And she is looking for, she, she looks, she's always looking around to see what's next. She's always looking out, comparing herself to others um, to kind of get a sense of where she stands. But she's also always looking um, for what lies beneath. You know, mm-hmm. she, she collects she collects truth. She collects love and connection. Um, yeah. And what does she find? What does Seeker find limiting? <laughs> um, I. I chuckled because I, she finds it limiting when, when she can't find those points of connection. Mm. Um, She finds it limiting in stasis, in boredom. Um, I worked as a management consultant for a few years and a, there, there was one morning that I was traveling with a couple of male um, engineering colleagues and were having breakfast in the hotel. And I asked what they were reading and just blank stares back. And I said, Oh, I haven't read a book since uh. middle school. Um, the other one said, Oh, I don't even know if I read in middle school. Um, and there was, uh, in that moment, a deep, I can see that as a seeker looking for connection mm. and a deep sense of isolation. Mm. And also boredom, mm-hmm. you know, then, then I felt like, Oh, there's nothing for a seeker to feast on mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. So if I were to follow seeker into the future, Let's take an imaginary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> let's take an imagine imaginary stroll into the future, and seeker has identified what she has sought. Hmm. What what is happening? Where is she? With whom is she? And what, what is she doing? Or how is she being? I, my, my initial gut reaction was, um, I can't imagine Seeker being satisfied. You know, it, it's, I can't imagine her resting. Mm-hmm. 
or feeling like what she has found is enough. Um, But if it pushing through that, if it could be a seeker would be in a place of um, maybe emerging out of deep time alone with God into um, that. That's what I picture. I picture a seeker emerging from, you know, this, uh, a deep and rich, maybe contemplative prayer time into a room filled with loved ones. Mm -hmm. So my curiosity as I listen and, and if time permitted, we could snoop around a little bit more in this story because I want to, I would love to travel back in time with Seeker <laughs> as much as I traveled forward in time and, and just follow her around. She fascinates me. Mm. However, given that our, our time is limited, I'm wondering about the place of rest and contentment in Seeker's life. Mm. I did hear Seeker say um, she's never satisfied and Mm -hmm. resting is not her strong suit. Mm -hmm. And so as I meet her, I'd love to hear more about those places of contentment and rest in her life. Mm. either in the past, present, or aspired for in the future. There, um, well, I would too. (laughs) (laughs) Um. (laughs) We're all on her team. (laughs) Um, But but there was a moment that 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 brought back that um that I'll share that um yeah when um I'll keep calling her she when she was maybe seven or eight or nine or ten I'm I'm not I'm not exactly sure when this memory takes place um certainly old enough to read on her own and enjoy falling into a story mm-hmm. and um. She set up, um, her parents set up lawn chairs in the backyard in the fall. And so there's this lounge chair and there's beautiful fall colors and, um, it's cool, but not, not cold. And, um, I think her mom might've even made her a cup of cocoa and she's sitting in this chair in the fall with a book in nature and just, um, yeah. Mm. And she, yeah. And Seeker is very content. She is content. So I want to invite, first of all, it's easy for me to imagine because as I look out my window, it's a beautiful fall day Mm -hmm. and it's cool, but not cold. So I'm I'm loving the thought that I could walk outside and meet this young girl mm. in her lounge chair or lawn chair. 
resting, contented. So I'd like to invite you to just to just rest there. Rest in that space. And I'm just going to quietly be there with you. Could we do that? And then as you're ready, just after you've you've had time to rest there, if you if you tell me about what you discovered through that rest. Mm. But first, let's rest together there. I am hearing Seeker say, um, say that she's saying that she does know rest. Mm. Um, Mm. And she's also gently saying that she's, um, that she's still me. <laughs> but, uh-huh. Yeah. <sighs> like I, I'm feeling that through line to that girl. Mm-hmm. And and what invitation is she offering? What what invitation is seeker at that age offering you today? Hmm. To come back and play. Oh. Um, yeah. And to come back into, like, in, into my childhood. Like, that's definitely that. Mm. Yeah. What is that like in your, in your body? What are you noticing in your body, Lauren, through returning to that story? There's a real, um, there's a real calm mm. alongside a slightly elevated heart rate, you know, alongside a little, some excitement. Um, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Excitement. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, and, and for me, this is where the stories of the past mm. They're life giving in the present because they they do enliven us, mm-hmm. right? That little bit of a increased heart rate <laughs> is my is is enlivening. That's a an indication of enlivening, especially when it's coupled with calm mm-hmm. and grounding. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. And I wonder if if I were meeting with you to accompany you in this story, I'd en- I'd encourage you to keep returning to that memory mm-hmm. uh, as long as it's offering you more. Because sometimes just one visit and one dip and in, into a memory is just a beginning. Mm-hmm. So return there in your imagination. Ah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and keep returning as long as it's offering more. And and then you'll you'll know when it's time. Seeker will know when it's time to move on. Mm. Maybe another memory of rest will come to her and then she'll move to that one. That is a beautiful invitation. And and I will. Thank you. Diane, thank you. Thank you for helping me 
both ground into and open up um, a little more of my story and particularly an avenue into, into my story. Mm-hmm. May, may I offer one of my favorite quotes about story as we close? Oh, please do. Yes. Um, I, 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 broke this quote open because it's one of my favorites and it was one that really shined a light for me on the importance of this work. And, and it's from the work of Dave Isay and his StoryCorps project, mm. which you can learn more about if you listen to public radio or visit the website. And here's what he has to say about story that our stories, the stories of everyday people, are as interesting and important as the celebrity stories we're bombarded with by the media every minute of the day. That if we take the time to listen, we'll find wisdom, wonder, and poetry in the lives and stories of the people all around us. We all want to know our lives have mattered and that we won't ever be forgotten. That our listening is an act of love. So I say reminds us we each have a valuable story to tell. So I just want to encourage us to both tell our valuable story and invite those we meet to tell their valuable story. Mm. And it's through the telling that we discover what's life-giving in our story, especially if we're, if we're telling it from that deep place within us. Mm. Mm. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lauren. It was a pleasure to share this time with you. And- Listeners, thank you for exploring with us today. You can learn more about Diane and find information about her most recent book, Recreating a Life, at dianemillis.com. There are also links to resources we mentioned in our show notes. I hope that today's conversation inspires you to play with spiritual practices in in your own life, and I hope in particular that you are inspired to to take seriously your own story to open it up to exploration and to practice curiosity about the stories of those you share life with if you do and you'd like to share about it you can reach me at laurenburdette.com i would love to hear if you've enjoyed our conversation please subscribe rate and review our show on apple podcast or your preferred podcast app that helps other listeners to find us And finally, our music is by the band This Side of Eve. You can find this song and all of their music at thissideofeve.bandcamp.com. I'll be back in a couple weeks with a new conversation. Thanks again.